This morning we're going to read from Daniel chapter 1, and the words will be on the screen, and I would encourage you to read along with me as we read God's word together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to devile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all, of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom." Let's look at that part of the Bible together. My guess is that for some of you, maybe in Sunday school as children, you looked at the book of Daniel. And my hope is that as you look at it now as adults, 
that God would use it in your life. So let's pray together as we come to look at this part of the Bible. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now that as we come to hear you speak through your word preached, that you would give us humble and teachable and obedient hearts, that we may receive what you reveal and do what you command. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did you know that every year around 400,000 people emigrate from the UK? They leave for pastures new, they leave for sunshiny lands, they leave for a new home. And did you know that about 600,000 people actually decide to come here? They leave their place behind and they come and they live in the UK. Well, imagine how strange it must be if you have come from a very, very different culture to live in the UK. Or imagine how strange it must be if you move from the UK to a very, very different culture. I mean, imagine a man from Straban moving to Japan. You get the idea. It would be strange, wouldn't it? It would be weird. And one of the things that very often happens to people who move overseas is that after the honeymoon period, after the excitement of all the new things, they hit a period of feeling very, very low. And the reason they hit a period of feeling low is because they feel like strangers in this new place they live. They feel like aliens. They don't understand the culture. They don't understand the customs. And they feel like outsiders. They feel like they don't belong. This morning, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, my guess is that as you live life in this world, that sometimes you feel a bit like that. Can you relate to that? Sometimes as you live out your everyday life in work with your friends, with your family, as you live out your everyday life in this world, are there not times when you feel like you don't really belong? I have that experience. And my guess is that you do too. Because you're someone who wants to live faithfully for God. You're someone who wants to obey God in your everyday life. But you live in a world which doesn't even do God. You live in a world where it's not encouraged to live God's way. Some of you here this morning know what I'm talking about. You live in a world where you're expected to join in with the gossip and work as people tear others apart. That's what's expected of you, but inwardly you do not want to. Inwardly, you, you don't want to do that because you want to be faithful to God. Some of you here this morning, when you're out with the lads at uni, it's just expected that you will drink just as much as they do and get absolutely hammered. But yet inwardly, you, you don't want to. You want to obey God and please him. Some of you here this morning are expected that whenever you're dating someone, you'll sleep with them before you're married like everyone else does. There's a pressure put on you to do that. And you feel strange because inwardly you want to obey God. As followers of Jesus, as we live in this world, 
Is it not true that sometimes, in fact, a lot of the time, we feel like strangers? Like we don't belong here? Because what the world wants, what society wants, is for us to let go of God and just go with the flow. But inwardly, we want to live for God and obey Him and honor Him and follow His ways. We love God, but we live in a world that doesn't and wants us to ditch him and just go with the flow. Well, this morning we meet some men who are in a very, very similar position to us. The men we meet are Daniel and his three friends. And these men, they are reluctant residents in a new land. As you read in verses 1 to 4 just there, these men lived in Judah. That was the land where God had given to his people. They lived in that land, and in that land, these men knew about God. They followed God. They lived for God. But what happened was that, that God's people had disobeyed God for such a long time that God sent the Babylonians to town. And the Babylonians invaded, and they took Daniel and his three friends away from Judah to the land of Babylon. And this land was totally different. This land was full of idols. This land had completely different morals, completely different values, a completely different culture. I'm sure that whenever Daniel and his friends arrived in Babylon, they felt like complete and other strangers. Now, it's interesting though, because whenever they arrive, on the surface, things don't look too bad for Daniel and his friends, because whenever they get there, they're immediately registered at the local university. Not too far from here, just a mile or two away, we have the Queen's University of Belfast. But you see, where Daniel had arrived, they had the King's University of Babylon. And they were enrolled in that university on the first day they arrived. Now, most of you, if you're at university, you picked whatever course you're studying. You got to choose what you got to study, but not Daniel and his three friends. They were enrolled for three years of Babylonian studies, and you can see that in verses four and five. Have a look there. He, that's Asphanaz, the, the, the chief court official who was looking after the boys, was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. They were to be trained for three years And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, do you see what's going on here? Do you see what the Babylonians are trying to do to these four young men? You see, these guys, they were probably only about 15 years old. They were impressionable teenagers. And what the Babylonians were trying to do was they were trying to make these men who loved God and followed God and were people of God, they were trying to make these guys into Babylonians. You see, for 15 years, these boys had been people of one book. For 15 years, these boys had been taught the scriptures. For 15 years, these boys had been given values from God's word. For 15 years, these boys had worshipped one God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. But you see what they were to do when they got there at university? They were to look at the literature of the Babylonians. 
They were to learn about the Babylonian gods. They were to learn about the Babylonian culture. They were to learn about Babylonian morals. And the whole point of this exercise was to make them into Babylonians. The whole point of this exercise was to make these boys ditch God and ditch his ways and live just like everybody else. Now it's interesting here, isn't it? Because the boys don't resist this. They, they don't protest at having to take this course. They don't cause a fuss. In fact, they cooperate with this scheme of education. They go to class. They do their reading. They do their exams. They do well in their tests. They embrace this learning. They embrace learning about the Babylonians. And the reason they embrace it is because they know they don't have to believe it. They embrace everything Babylonian because they know they don't have to believe everything Babylonian. The text doesn't tell us here. But what I imagine happening as these boys live in their halls of residence is that every night after class, I can imagine getting together with their notes that they've learned that day and comparing them to God's word. Everything that they're, they're learning from this class I imagine them weighing it up in light of Scripture. Some things they'll be able to embrace, but some things they will reject. These guys embrace learning about the Babylonian culture because it doesn't mean they have to compromise on their faithfulness and faith in God. You might not realize this this morning, but, but do you realize that every single day you're actually at the King's University of Babylon? What? You are. Every single day you sit in class at the University of Babylon. And so do I. Because every single day, whenever you read a newspaper, you're getting a message from that newspaper. That newspaper is trying to make you think in a certain way. It's trying to shape your values and your morals and your culture. Whenever you watch a, a TV program or a movie, it has a message that it is trying to get you to adopt. A message it's trying to get you to believe and to embrace. Whenever you listen to a podcast, whenever you, you listen to a, a music video, whenever you take in any form of entertainment, there is a message that that entertainment is trying to get you to embrace, to believe. Last night, Emma and I watched the romantic comedy. It was rubbish. Terrible film. The name of the film was called Love Guaranteed. I knew it was going to be awful from the minute Emma picked it, but anyway. But it was really interesting because whenever you watch the film, if you assess the message, it was basically this, love is salvation. The one thing in life that will make it all worthwhile is if you can find a partner who you can just be in love with your whole life. That was the message. And it was a feel-good message. 
But it was a load of nonsense compared with Scripture, wasn't it? Jesus satisfies. Singleness is good. You can serve the Lord wholeheartedly because you don't have some of the the responsibilities that marriage brings. But there was a very clear message. The message was that singleness is not good and that having a relationship is everything. And I'm sure that if you think about the newspapers you read, you know the messages they're trying to give you. You know the, the, the values they're trying to make you embrace. You know what it's like to sit in class. And this morning, I just want you to be aware of that. Now, what I'm not saying to you this morning is that you need to be weirdos who never watch TV or or who never read a newspaper or who never listen to a podcast or who don't listen to songs on the radio. I'm not saying that's what you should be like. Daniel and his friends, they went to class. They learned about the culture. And you and I, we can learn about the culture. We can listen to the messages, but what we must do is weigh them up in light of Scripture. Don't just embrace every message you receive, but weigh it up in light of Scripture. And what you'll find is that there are some things that you can wholeheartedly get on board with, some things that you can say amen to, but equally, you will find things that you need to resist in order to be faithful to God. Anyway, having started at university, the the next thing that happens to these boys is that they are renamed. They're given new names, and you see that there, verse 7. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. They were given new names. You see, the names that these boys had originally, Azariah, Hananiah, Daniel, and and Mishael, all of these names pointed to their God. Every single day, whenever they used their name, they were affirming something about their God. But the Babylonians didn't like this, so they changed their names. And they, they made their names new that they pointed to Babylonian gods. Again, can can you see what they were trying to do to these boys? They were trying to make them forget about their God. They were trying to make them forget that they belonged to God. They were trying to make them forget what their God was like. And what they were trying to do instead was forcing them to embrace their gods, these Babylonian gods. That was the idea behind this. It's interesting though, isn't it? Again, Daniel and his friends, they they cooperate. Just like going to class, they cooperate with this. They let the Babylonians call them whatever they want. Why was that? It's because it wouldn't make a difference to their personal faithfulness to God. Daniel had been called Daniel for 15 years. He wasn't going to forget his name in a hurry. Daniel and these boys had known about God and followed God for 15 years and changing their name wasn't going to make any difference to them. So they embraced it. They cooperated because it wasn't going to cause them to compromise on faithfulness to God. So they've been registered at university. 
and they've cooperated because it doesn't mean compromising. They've been renamed and they've cooperated because it doesn't mean compromising on being faithful to God. But the next thing we see is that they're required to eat the king's food. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And on this, Daniel could not cooperate. I have it on good authority from a student who goes to our church that food in university halls of residence is not that great. In fact, they said it was terrible, but I would feel too bad saying that publicly. But the food at university halls, it's dreadful. It's awful. It's, it's not really edible. It's not great. But the food that these guys were going to get, it was exquisite. It was Michelin star. It was top notch. They were going to get food from the king's table. Whatever the king was having for dinner that night, these wee students were going to get it. The same meal would be served up to them. But Daniel wasn't going to eat it. Maybe you're wondering why not. What was the problem here? Why of all things was he not going to eat the king's food? Well, the answer is very simple. And the answer is that in Babylonia, people ate pork. You see, in the, some countries in the world today, meat is a, a delicacy, meat you don't really have very much of. So I was in Uganda a number of years ago, and having meat in Uganda, you had it whenever you were celebrating. And that would have been the same in the Babylonian culture, apart from the king. The king would have had meat every single day of life, and some of the meat that he would have ate would have been pork. But God's people... God had told them they weren't allowed to eat pork. In the book of Leviticus, God's people were given lots of different rules to live by, rules to show the world that they were distinct, that they were different. And one of these rules was that they were not to eat pork. And so Daniel, he, he knew he couldn't do it. If Daniel ate the pork, he would be becoming just like everybody else. If Daniel ate the pork, he would be compromising on being faithful to God. You see, these food laws, these external things that only God's people were to do, they were meant to be signs of being set apart inwardly. The outward things that marked them as being God's people were to be a reflection of who they were inwardly. And inwardly, Daniel really was one of God's people. And inwardly, Daniel really did love God. And inwardly, Daniel really wanted to be faithful to God. And so he couldn't cooperate because this would be compromise. Like Daniel here, just, just make sure you understand this. Daniel was not saying that other people on his course shouldn't eat the meat. He wasn't trying to control how other people lived. Daniel wasn't even condemning the Babylonians for eating the meat. They weren't God's people. Why would they? 
No, this was a matter of personal integrity. This was a personal thing as Daniel lived out his life before his God. And so Daniel could not eat the meat. And the language is very strong because look what it says. It says that he resolved not to eat the meat, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food. We make resolutions on New Year's Eve and we break them on New Year's Day. In our world, resolutions don't mean very much. To resolve to do something means, well, yeah, we'll give it a go and then, well, sure, if it feels, it feels but that is not how resolutions were meant to be. Whenever someone made a resolution, it was a principle that they were going to stick to no matter what. And here Daniel says that he had resolved that he wasn't going to eat the meat. Didn't matter what was going to happen to him. It didn't matter what the result was going to be here. He simply was not going to defile himself in this way. He couldn't do it. It would be compromise. This morning, I think there is something for us to learn here as Christians living today. And it's this, it's that sometimes we need to make resolutions in order to be faithful to God when the pressure's on. I wonder if I was to ask you this morning, are there any resolutions that you have made as a follower of Jesus in this world? Would you have any? Are there any things that you have set your mind to that you will not do no matter what? Or are there some things that you have set in your mind that you will always do no matter what? You see, folks, I think that in this world where there's so much pressure to conform to it and to live without God, I think we need to have some resolutions in place in our lives. Resolutions that we stick to no matter what so that we can be personally faithful to God when the pressure is on. Do some of you here need to make a resolution that you will never lie in work even if your boss asks you to? that you will refuse point blank to do that? Do some of you need to make that resolution? Do some of you need to make a resolution to excuse yourself politely from a room when the gossip starts and they start assassinating someone's character in your office? Is that a resolution you need to make to be faithful to God? Do you need to make a resolution not to get sexually involved with someone who you're dating and you're not married to? Do you need to make that resolution firm and stick to it no matter what? This morning, in what area of life do you feel under most pressure to cave in, to go with the flow, to be unfaithful to God, whatever that area is? I want to encourage you this morning to make some resolutions. And folks, this is not legalism. It's not legalism. It's simply being prepared, simply being ready to be faithful to God no matter what. Anyway, Daniel, he, he resolves that he's not going to eat the meat. 
But it's interesting again, because what Daniel does next is he, he doesn't make a scene. He doesn't stage a protest. He, he doesn't go on a hunger strike. No, do you notice what Daniel does? He simply requests that he doesn't have to eat it. Look how polite this language is. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Excuse me, he takes the man aside. I have a problem with eating the meat. I'm one of God's people and, and I just don't feel that I could do that and be faithful to God. I was just wondering, could, could I please not have the, the food from the king's table? Could I please have a different menu? He's not a nuisance, do you see that? He doesn't make a scene. This isn't something he's doing to kind of show off in front of everybody else of how holy he is. No, this is a matter between him and God. And so he goes and he requests a different diet. Now, Ashkenaz, he, he, he doesn't do it. He's very sympathetic to Daniel. He, he understands Daniel's predicament. But Ashpenaz says, no, I'm sorry. I, I can't give you different food. I'm sorry, I can't do it. Because if you look worse than the other guys at the end of these three years, my head's off. I can't give you a different menu, Daniel. I'm sorry. What does Daniel do then? He's resolved he's not going to eat the meat. He's been told he can't have a different diet. Does he just go, oh, well, I tried? No, he doesn't. He goes and he then suggests a very reasonable solution. He comes up with the solution that will work in this place where he is at. He goes along and he, and he says to them in verses 12 to 13, he says, listen, let's do a little trial here. This is the first science experiment, I think, recorded in history. Let's have a 10-day trial here. For 10 days, give me and my friends vegetables and water, and at the end of 10 days, see how we look. And if things look good to you, well, sure, why don't you keep us on it? And so the guard, he agrees. It's a deal. And at the end of the 10 days, there's amazing results. These guys look good, better than everybody else. He suggests a reasonable solution. The results that Daniel got, they were amazing. Everything went well here. He didn't have to eat the meat. He looked good at the end of three years. Everything went well. But here's the thing. Even if it didn't go well, Daniel would still not have eaten the meat. Even if it didn't go well, Daniel still would have chosen to be faithful to God. And what I want you to know this morning is that whenever you choose to be faithful, whenever you choose to please God and not other people, sometimes the result will be perfectly, brilliantly wonderful. And sometimes it won't. But regardless of the result, we're called not to go with the flow, but to please God. I know a lady, she was newly married in her 20s, and she worked for a large recruitment agency, and she was excellent at her job, excellent at it. But she was going for a, a major client meeting to, to secure some new clients, and as she traveled there with her boss, her boss said to her, 
Would you mind taking off your wedding ring and your engagement ring? What pressure. We think it's going to help, you know, if, if they think that you're available. What pressure. This young lady, she simply said, no, no, I won't. And that was the end of the matter and there were no more questions asked and she continued to do very well in the company and I imagine her boss never asked anyone to do that again. A great result. I've also heard of another lady though who worked in a, in a company that made syringes for the medical profession and these syringes had to be perfect. They could have no defaults, no, no problems with them or else it would obviously cause problems further down the line for patients. And this lady, she was the only one who could sign off to say that the syringes met the standards required. The company made a huge batch of syringes, one of the biggest batches they'd ever produced. And they were defective. They were going to cause problems. And so they said to this lady, listen, we want you to sign this off. And she said, I can't sign it off. They're defective. And they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and eventually she was brought into a meeting and told, if you don't sign these off, you will lose your job here. I can't sign them off. And she didn't. And she lost her job. But that woman today regrets nothing of it. The Lord provided, the Lord looked after her, the Lord gave her another job and she was so glad today that she was faithful to God, that she didn't go with the flow when under pressure. What was Daniel's secret? I think the secret of how Daniel could be faithful to God is actually contained in the meaning of his name. I wonder do any of you know what Daniel means? Dan, you will know. The meaning of Daniel is God is my judge. God is my judge. And I think the reason that Daniel was able to, to cooperate without compromising in the world of Babylon was because every day as he lived out his life, he remembered that God was his judge. That God was the one he was aiming to please. God was the one he was aiming to impress. God was the one he wanted to live for. And as he lived out his life, I think that was the secret to his success. A number of years ago, there was an interview with some Ulster rugby players. And one of the players, he, he would wrap up his wrist with um, some kind of bandage. And on it, he would use felt tip or a permanent marker. And he had these things. He says, A O 1, the number. A O 1. And that stood for audience of one. And what this Ulster rugby player was saying, he says, whenever I go on the pitch, I'm surrounded by these great crowds of people. But he says, my aim is to play for an audience of one. I will show integrity on the pitch because I'm aiming to live in a way that pleases God. I will not cheat on the pitch because I'm aiming to live in a way that pleases God. I will not intentionally hurt someone on the pitch because I'm living in a way to please God. And I think that was the secret to Daniel. 
He lived to please an audience of one. Folks, is that your aim? Is that your aim as you live out your everyday life? Is that what you want? If it is, then cooperate, but don't compromise. There's an old chorus, and some of you here will know it. And the chorus goes like this. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. All of us here this morning would say amen to that. All of us this morning have felt encouraged to be like Daniel. But maybe as you sit here this morning, you're like me. Because although I've been encouraged to be a Daniel, I have realized that I am not. I am no Daniel. So often, whenever the pressure is on to go with the flow, I go with it. So often, whenever I know what I need to do to be faithful to God as I live out my life, I don't do it. I want to be a Daniel, but I am not. And my guess is that you are not either. So often, I am not faithful to God. So often, I'm not brave enough to go against the flow. So often, I am not willing to take a stand. But the great news is that there is one who came after Daniel who was always faithful. There was one who came after Daniel who was brave enough to go to the cross. There was one who came after Daniel who willingly stood in my place. And his name is Jesus Christ. This morning, we've all failed to be Daniel. But Jesus doesn't fail us. This morning, go out there. Live for God. But don't forget the gospel. Don't forget the good news. Don't fail to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has won for you. Let's stand just now and respond to what we've heard this morning by singing a song reminding us that even whenever we are unfaithful, that ever when, whenever we fail to be a Daniel, there is one who clings to us and holds us fast. Let's stand together and sing. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you now and forevermore. Amen.